0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have to spend time in your word. We pray that as people are making their way over here that they wouldn't be too wet but they would make it here safely lord thank you for the rain but we hope it stops soon so we can enjoy camp meeting a little a little better we ask that you would be with us and speak to us through your word by your spirit in jesus name amen anybody ever heard of this man harry orchard okay Harry Orchard was called the dynamite killer for a good reason he killed 21 men 14 in one dynamite killing when he blew up a train loaded with miners jet that was just getting off the night ship he was hired by corrupt labor leaders who were determined to get their way and to get rid of anybody who stood in their way of getting what they wanted The biggest hit was the former governor, Frank Steuenberg, who stood in their way with his policies when he was the governor of the state of Idaho. Orchard was playing cards in the Saratoga Hotel one night in December and saw his chance as Steuenberg was visiting with some friends in the lobby and he was preparing to leave home. Orchard hurried upstairs to his room, picked up the dynamite bomb, wrapped it under his arm in a newspaper, tucked up his arm and dashed out, 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 outside. Orchard wired the bomb to the gate, to the front gate of the Steuenberg residence just before he got there. And when the governor went to open his gate, boom. Moments later, there was a big explosion and Frank Steuenberg's blood poured out all over the white snow as his children and his wife saw their husband and father laying there dying in front of their eyes. He was later caught. He admitted to the crime. He was tried and convicted and sentenced to die for his crime. Mrs. Steuenberg had every reason to hate this man for the crime that he had, he, had, he, had, he had done. But she was a Christian, and she sent him a message with forgiveness and a little book entitled, you may have heard of it, Steps to Christ." The guard told Harry, here is a package from the woman whose husband you just murdered. Frightened, thinking that it was a bomb. See, he had made bombs out of books before that she had wired up to get revenge. He didn't want to open it. But when you know you're going to die anyway, you, you kind of run out of things to do in prison. And so one day he decided to open it up, and to his surprise, it did not explode. He saw the, the title, Steps to Christ, and he started to read this book. The thought of missing Stuenberg's forgiveness was just simply too much from him. It was even too much for him, a hardened murderer. Soon he began to read the Bible that he had spent his whole life uh, making fun of, and he began to feel something different inside. Harry discovered in a book that he had ridiculed his whole life that there was good news. He found exactly what he needed in the Bible, that there was hope to have forgiveness for his past and to have uh, God's help in the present and moving forward to change into a new person. He discovered justification or righteousness by faith let's pray father in heaven we thank you for this time that we have to study we ask that you would bless in Jesus name Amen all right let's turn right to the third angels message itself and that's also found in Revelation 14 Revelation 14 verse 9 this is I don't know what number sermon this is this whole series that, 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 that I do is about 12 or 13 sermons and I left out the evangelistic meeting stuff, and we're just moving on to the the deeper, more spiritual stuff that you normally probably wouldn't hear, where there isn't time at an evangelistic meeting, and so. I explain what the second angel is in one, and then I do the Abraham thing in another, and then we explain the mark of the beast in one, and then we do this in another. And so I'm assuming that all of you know what the mark of the beast is, who the beast is, and so we're just moving on to new information. Okay? Revelation 14, verse 9, are you there? It says Then a third angel followed them, saying, With a what? A loud voice. So the first angel is given with a loud voice. The third angel is given with a loud voice. Does that mean that the second angel is quiet? No. Chronologically speaking, if you study Revelation um, 18, the last thing that that the people hear just before the close of probation is the call to come out of Babylon so that you don't receive of the plagues so chronologically the last message that the wicked who dwell upon the earth and when I say the wicked that dwell on the earth what am I talking about those who dwell upon the earth no it's not us it's not God's people those who dwell upon the earth is always talking about the wicked right so the, those who dwell upon the earth whose minds are here whose homes are here is contrasted in 13 verse 6 with those who dwell in heaven right and so the last the last call that that the the those who dwell upon the earth the wicked here is the message of the second angel Okay. So, just because the second angel isn't given a loud voice doesn't mean that his voice is not heard because chronologically if you read in Revelation 18, the second angel is the last message that is physically heard. Okay? So It's 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 given all the way up until the closing of probation, which is the seven last plagues. Okay. So, we were in 14 verse 9, and I think it's to start over in verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever day and night. Notice that it says the smoke of their torment ascends forever day and night, not the torment itself. And the smoke of the torment ascends forever day and night and they have no rest day or night and, and who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name now what is the background what is the Old Testament background of the third angels message can anybody tell me where the Old Testament background for the first angels message who, what is what statement is John quoting from with the first angels anybody remember Ecclesiastes 12 12-13 right and then with the second angel come out of Babylon Babylon is fallen is fallen does anybody remember where that was taken from it was taken from Jeremiah 51 Right? And it was also a statement that was taken from, I think it was Isaiah chapter 21. The third angel's message, the Old Testament background, is Isaiah chapter 34, verse 8, speaking of the destruction of Edom. And so John, with all three of these angels' messages, is simply quoting passages from the Old Testament. Okay? Isaiah 34 and verse 8. Let's turn in our Bibles and take a trip over to Isaiah 34 and verse 8 isaiah 34 and verse 8 are you there isaiah 34 verse 8 for it is the day of the lord's vengeance the year of recompense for the cause of zion its stream shall be turned into pitch its dust into brimstone its pitch shall become a burning pitch it shall not be quenched Day, it it shall not be quenched night or day. And here it is. It's smoke shall ascend forever and ever from generation uh, to generation. It shall lay waste. No one should pass through it forever and ever and ever. And so it's interesting that they say that the wicked burn forever and ever when he's quoting from a passage in Isaiah 34, speaking of an event that has already ended. You see, you see how, how God does that? So forever, forever, now listen carefully, forever is modified by the thing that is said to do thus or so forever. In other words, if I say to my wife, Carla, I love you forever, am I mortal or immortal? I'm mortal, so that means I'm going to love you until I die. But if God said, Carla, I will love you forever, what does that mean? He's immortal, so that means his love for Carla never had a beginning and never had an end. Since he is love, he loved her even before she was born, like Jeremiah. I knew you before I formed you in the womb. So since my nature is mortal, therefore forever for me just means until I die. So when it says the wicked burn up, they burn up forever it means they burn up until they're gone because their nature is mortal. For instance, um, uh, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, his mother took him to the temple to remain there forever. That's what it says. But then, two chapters later, it says he would remain there as long as he lives. Okay? So if forever means forever everywhere, question is the temple that he was taken to still there? No, it was destroyed. So therefore, Samuel cannot be there. So forever is modified by the nature of the thing that is said to do thus and so forever. Got it? Okay, so there you go. Another little arrow for the immortality of the soul. So forever and ever can't mean forever and ever because the Edom has been destroyed and it has already ended. There's several of these all over scriptures. Like um, the everlasting fire, the fire is an effect that is eternal, not the fire itself, right? all right so there's a lot going on here in just a few short verses there's the loud voice there is the issue of the mark of the beast is over true or false worship has nothing to do with some chip or some barcode or some computer scan or your social security number or whatever it's over true and false worship the word worship pops up in Revelation 13 five times and in Daniel chapter 3 which is the sister chapter to Daniel uh, to Revelation 13 I believe it pops up 11 times right there's an image that's set up in Daniel chapter 3 and all the world's told to bow down and worship it right and then in Revelation 13 there's an image that is created and all the world is told to follow and worship that so what happens in Daniel happens in Revelation sister White says that the two or one book and all of the books of the Bible meet and end in the book of Revelation so what happens in Daniel happens in Revelation okay so the issue over the whole mark of the beast is simply worship. There's the beast and his image. We explained what the beast and the image was yesterday. There's the mark on the hand, which symbolizes what you do. Then there's the forehead, the mark on the forehead, which symbolizes what you know. There's the wrath of God, the wicked not having rest, and then the saints have having rest. So in the last two sermons, we covered the first four points. Now we'll deal with the last three today. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining the wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angels' messages. I don't know of any other church that gives the th- three angels' message any airtime, okay so they have been given a work of the most solemn import the first second and third angel's message there is no other work of so great importance they are to allow how much else Nothing else to absorb their attention. So does that mean that every last sermon that we ever talk about and everything that you speak about has to be about the three angels' message? I don't think that's what Mrs. White is saying here. I'm saying everything that we do should be done evangelistically. Okay? Every sermon that is preached, every act that we do should be on some cycle of the evangelistic calendar, whether it's sow, cultivate, harvest, or train. Okay? So this is to have our full attention. Here's another Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. Okay. We're gonna explain this statement with this whole sermon today. You're gonna know what how how the third angel's message is righteousness by faith and verity by the end of, of the meeting. If the three angels message is what we should be preaching, then nothing then nothing else should be able to absorb our attention. And if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, then that means that we should not allow anything else to absorb our attention except for justification by faith. Amen? Very simple reasoning there. So, therefore, what is justification by faith? What is the connection between justification by faith and the third angel's message? Now, let's do a very simple Bible study on justification by faith. Paul's the champion. Let's go to him. But to him, Romans 4, verse 5, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his what? Faith is accounted for righteousness and some people say in the Old Testament you're saved by one way through works or the law And then in the New Testament you're saved under a different covenant under grace. Well, how was Abraham saved? By faith, so anybody who has ever been saved has been saved by grace through faith There is no two ways of salvation. It has always been by faith and faith alone just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness. Okay. Imputes. What's impute mean? Impute means to give credit for. You have no money in an account and your parents wire um, wired $5000 into the account. You did you didn't do anything to get it. They just gave it to you. So to impute means to give credit for. And then that's justification. Sanctification means means it is you are imparted. It is the righteousness that is imparted. To impart means to give as needed. What is it? So impute means to give credit for. Jesus gives us his righteousness, but then you're driving down the street and someone pulls out in front of you and you breathe a little prayer and (sighs) you just got imparted righteousness because where, as before, you may have made an obscene gesture to that person and now you are able to say, God bless you, instead of something else. Amen? Impute, give credit for, impart, is give as needed. So let me, let me add another layer to this. Justification is being saved from the penalty of sin. You might want to write this down. It's not in your notes. Justification, and you take shorthand, just go, just equals power, uh, penalty of sin. You learn how to take notes with shorthand. Justification equals salvation from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is salvation from the power of sin. And glorification is salvation from the presence of sin. So justification is salvation from the penalty of sin, which is death, and sanctification is salvation from the power of sin. In other words, sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under law but under grace, right? So, and then glorification is being saved from the presence of sin at the second coming. All right, we're learning. So when we have justification, oh, I didn't finish the verse. Verse 7 Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven And whose sins are covered Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin So when we have justification Our sins are what? Forgiven That is a good thing because Romans 3.23 says all have sinned. So therefore, we are all in need of justification. Justification is a legal term that God uses to do heavenly accounting, to just keep the record straight, you have sin, but you ask for forgiveness, and God gives you imputed righteousness. And then, when you need it later, He gives you imparted righteousness. That's justification. That's fearing God. Sanctification is giving Him glory. So, justification is to be counted righteous and have forgiveness of sin. Continuing on Romans four verse three, for what does the Scripture say? And you know, Paul makes this argument in the book of Galatians fighting against the the circumcision party. There are some people who said you must keep the law of Moses and be circumcised in order to be saved. There is this big argument. Um, In Acts 15 over this whole thing that a lot of people were saying you have to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised and Paul deals with That concept in pretty much Galatians Ephesians Philippians and Colossians But Galatians and Romans are specifically the two major books of the Protestant Reformation Okay, and then in in Galatians he says he says that that's how it's in 1st Corinthians actually that circumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments what, is what matters, right? Paul tries to set the record right in the book of, 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 of Galatians that we have, we have been given a gift by the Spirit and that if we try to obtain salvation through, through the, the, the merit of circumcision he says that is something called the flesh. So there is something that Paul refers to in the book of Galatians as good sins of the flesh in chapter 2. But then in chapter 5, he makes a big list of sins that everybody would consider bad as you know, lying, adultery, sorcerer, murder, theft, etc. Those are the bad sins of the flesh. But, sin, but brothers and sisters, flesh is flesh. Whether it's good sins or bad sins of the flesh, flesh is flesh. And Satan will never get some, probably never get some Seventh-day Adventist to commit literal murder, but he could get some Seventh-day Adventist to commit a good sin of the flesh by thinking if I'm a good vegan vegetarian or if I show up to church on the right day, then that means God must love me more. That is a sin of the flesh. That mindset. Does that make sense? We are saved by faith that works amen faith works faith always has in it the germ of action faith is not a do nothing faith where jesus saves me and i just do nothing no it's god giving you his spirit he gives you the power both to will and to do and he gets the credit for all of it amen okay so synonyms for justified is counted righteous forgiven etc and then in verse 22 it says and therefore when you see the word therefore you should ask what's it there for therefore is a summary of the preceding. okay and so he says and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness what was it belief so how are we saved By your big Franks or by faith. I mean, vegilinks might get you a little closer, right? But it's by faith. Amen? Our diet and lifestyle is important, but it is not the gospel. Jesus is my religion, not food. Amen? So if Jesus is my religion, then I will take care of myself, right? I I will do what is right. By people and by God. So let's not put the cart in front of the horse, okay? So, I mean, you get these people that, man, are at potlucks, are you vegan, are you vegan, and everything must be labeled, and we make food more important than people. No, 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 no. Okay, Titus 3. Not by works, amen, of righteousness, which we have done according to whose mercy? Everything's from God your whole Christian experience from front to back is from God Okay He saves us through the washing of regeneration and renewing by who? Holy Spirit the secret of your Christian experience is your reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit Okay, so the Holy Spirit is the power who gives you though both the power to will to want and then to do right? So maybe instead of focusing on sin, on not sinning, we should be focusing on the positive, focusing on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because no one ever overcame sin by focusing on sin, right? Come unto me, if I, Jesus said, come unto me, and I will, you know, he who who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, right? He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself so no one ever overcame sin by focusing on sin you overcome sin by focusing on the solution and that's Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit so let's be positive minded people so not by works which of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us see Paul is going through great lengths to speak to issues such as keeping the law of Moses um, circumcision and he's focusing on God 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 on something outside of yourself and the Jews hated Paul for that reason because the Jews were all concerned about what they do they considered Paul an enemy to religion because of that because of that fact verse 6 whom he poured out on us abundantly how through Jesus Christ. So God sent Jesus to die. We accept Jesus, and that's how you have your access to the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Godhead is a, 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 a team, team effort. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according. Uh, to the hope of eternal life. So number one, it's not according to our works. Number two, it's according to his mercy. It's by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, by his grace. So what is my part? Steps of Christ is very simple on this. Surrender will at every step of the way. Okay? So, so salvation is literally 100% God, but God will not make your choice for you you must give him your will and that's something that's very hard to do sometimes but that that is our role okay that's our role um romans 5 and verse 1 how does justification make us righteous therefore having been justified which is the removal of guilt how by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue and sin that grace may abound? Now, this is a really fun phrase that Paul uses. This is certainly not. It's mega inoito. It's Paul's way of saying, Are you crazy? <laughs> that's, that's what he's saying. Shall we sin to get more grace? Is you nuts? That's, that's what he's saying, right? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. You're crazy. How shall we who died to sin live? So he uses opposite terms, juxtaposed together. We who died to sin live in sin any longer. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified. What happens at a crucifixion? Somebody dies, okay? Knowing, that, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, why? That the body of sin might be done away with. Why? That we should no longer be slaves of sin. So there's a big difference between struggling with sin and being slaves of sin, where I'm trying to live my best life, and I saw something, and I shouldn't have looked at it, but I did. I'm sorry, God. There's a big difference between that and getting up at 2 a.m. when your wife is asleep and going on websites that you should not. That's a slave of sin. The other is an accident. You know, you stubbed your toe and you swore, and you know that used to be a part of your everyday speech in your BC life. You know, BC, before Christ. Now it's before COVID, but you, you get the point, <laughs> right? And so those words are there, right? And sometimes things just come out, and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that was still there. It just means you're human and you're not in heaven yet. And so what do you do? Do you beat yourself up for two weeks? Do you run away from God and have some vacation? No, you just ask and you confess and you move on. See, look at this. Let me, let me show you this. Let me show you the statement here. Go to, I think it's Proverbs 24 and verse, verse 7. Proverbs 24, verse 16, got it highlighted. Proverbs twenty-four and verse sixteen. I mean these are real issues that Seventh-day Adventists um struggle with because we're this whole character perfection thing, it, it's something that I think God's people need to understand. Okay. The times that the 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 phrase perfection of character is used in the scripture, you have to really look at the context. For, for instance, in Matthew 5, I think it's verse 48 where it says, be holy as I am holy, be holy as your father in heaven is holy. If you read the context, it's talking about loving your neighbors. Okay? And, and then, and then um, when, you, when you look at, at the statement that, that Jesus made to the rich young ruler, if you will be perfect Go sell all that you have, give your money to the poor, and come follow me. Then you'll have riches in heaven, right? So what did it mean in that context to be perfect? It meant that if, if, if we need to do what the rich young ruler needed to do to be perfect, then everybody you better give, give all your money away and then give to the poor and go follow him. Apparently, some skills of biblical interpretation are needed when we read things. The rich young ruler had an idol, and that idol was money. That is why he went away sorrowful. And so for him, he needed to, to sell everything. That was just for him. But for us, you know what it is that you struggle with, okay? So in that instance, being perfect was surrendering all known sin, Amen? But then when God reveals something new to you in the future, then, then you have a chance to surrender again. Okay? But what if I make a mistake? What if I make a mistake? Now, I want you to look at Proverbs 24 and verse 16. Proverbs 24 verse 16 is a very important verse. For if a righteous man, okay? The Bible says that righteousness is keeping God's law. I think it's Psalms 119, 172 for a righteous man may what what is fall a word synonymous with a righteous man can what sin and what does sin mean to miss the mark it was assuming that you were aiming for the mark but you just missed okay it did not say that a righteous man commits iniquity because that's open rebellion that's a big difference here. So, and my saying that you can just, you know, sit and get out of jail free? No, I'm saying that you are going to make mistakes because sometimes self is not always surrendered to God. And when you slip and fall, it says what to do. For a righteous man may fall seven times. And then what's that next phrase? Rise again, right? You just don't sit there and cry and take a three-week vacation from God, Right? You don't go and watch a bunch of movies and medicate yourself with food, right? We do all kinds of things to comfort ourselves. A righteous man makes a mistake and they say, God, where did that come from? Walk with me. Give me your spirit and help me to, to, live, to live right. And you just get right back on the horse and you keep plugging away. That's the Christian experience, okay? So back, back to the study. Verse six Romans on the screen knowing this that our old man was what? Crucified so if the old man is crucified then he is dead What is it called when we contact dead people? Spiritualism. So when the old man comes back, that's like a form of modern-day spiritualism, right? Anyway, so knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be what? Okay, what's a slave of sin? Somebody tell me. Somebody who's just enjoying sin, right? They're just in it. They're not struggling. They don't care. They're just enjoying the fruits of sin. Right? So Paul is not talking about a man who is trying to live right and makes a mistake. He's saying that here you are being a slave of sin and enjoying all of it. Okay? So verse 1, he that is dead is justified and if you're justified, you don't keep sinning or practice sin. Amen? We're talking about practicing sin versus a uh, how how does she put it an occasional deed or misdeed from the book Steps to Christ. So Ellen White says, if you want to refrain preaching heresy, she says in the book Steps to Christ, it is not the occasional deed or misdeed, but the habitual tendencies and the practices of the life. So there you have it. But I, I'll just listen. I'm just going to ca- caution you know God's people. You need to trust the Bible. I get nervous about people that need 88 Ellen White statements when there's four, five, six, seven clear Bible statements. We live by the word of God. And Ellen White is just as inspired as any other biblical prophet. But friends, listen. Her authority is lesser than the scriptures because she called herself the lesser light to lead men and women back to the greater light so equal inspiration but not as authoritative and she would tell you that if she was here okay so it, it, it just we need to trust God's Word when God's Word is plain we'll go find it in the spirit of prophecy but we shouldn't be like oh now I see because I read Ellen White you need to trust the scriptures because Ellen White didn't confirm every little thing She was never trying to be a systematic theologian. We need to have faith in the word of God and let it, right? Now, does that mean that we don't need the the spirit of prophecy? Well, by the way, the whole Bible is the spirit of prophecy because it's inspiration from inspired prophets. So when we say the spirit of prophecy, Seventh-day Adventists typically mean Ellen White. But the whole Bible is the spirit of prophecy. Amen? So... We must need the writings of Mrs. White because God inspired her to do what she did. Amen? However, she said the purpose of her ministry, by and large, is to lead men back to Scripture. Because if a Baptist or a Methodist asks you a question, what are you going to do? Quote steps of Christ? You better know your Bible. Amen? That's all I'm saying. So don't read too much into this. All right, so... He who is dead is justified, and if you're justified, you're not practicing sin because you're dead to it. The things that you used to love, you now hate, okay? And the things that were boring to you, now are interesting. So what happens when you're crucified? You die. So there is a relationship between being crucified and being justified. Galatians 2 verse 20, big righteousness by faith verse. But in the context, it means something more than just righteousness by faith. It's also talking about racism. Jewish versus Gentile racism. This is one of the best social justice verses that no one has ever heard heard about, okay? Because of the, the, the Jewish pride against the, the Gentiles, he's saying that that stuff is crucified and my ethnic identity is not Caucasian, it's Christian. So therefore, if I have problems with someone else because of their skin color I'm not dead to self and if you're not dead to self you're not saved period is that no apologies for that I have been crucified with Christ it is I who no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live I live by what faith I live by the spirit In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so one I have been crucified with Christ I live by faith so therefore it sounds like being justified and being crucified are the same thing even better if I've been crucified that means Christ lives within me so when I exercise faith who's really exercising faith Christ through the spirit because when we say Jesus come into my heart what we really mean is Holy Spirit come and help me to think different and do different that's what that's what we really mean so in order to be justified um, by Christ Jesus must live in me through the Holy Spirit so now that we understand justification by faith by faith I think we get it it's very simple Jesus loves me, I love Jesus, I'm a sinner, he's my savior, I have sin. he has a sanctuary, he takes my sin, puts it in his sanctuary, he cleanses me from it, and then one day all of my sins going to be put on the scapegoat, and he will take my sin into the land of separation. Jesus forgives me, but the devil will suffer for every sin that anybody has ever been committed. Amen? That's the purpose of the scapegoat. The purpose of the scapegoat is to take the sin out into the land of separation let me deviate here because we have a few seconds when you want to delete a word document what do you do right click send to recycle bin right it's off your desktop but it's in the recycle bin right but what do you want to do when you want to empty the recycle bin go to the recycle bin right click Empty, and then it's permanently deleted off your computer, right? Well, some computer people really know how to go and retrieve that stuff, but for most of us, you know, it's off. So the daily is when you click delete, and then it goes into the, the recycle bin. The Day of Atonement is emptying the recycle bin, You get it? And then your sins are going to be put on the antitypical scapegoat or Azazel's goat, which is Satan. And then the Bible says in Leviticus 16, by the hands of a fit man, he was taken out and he would bear all the sins of the children of Israel right it's just pure accounting salvation had already been accomplished by the time the scapegoat had come to play his part because Hebrews 9:22 says without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sin so the Lord's goat Two hands on that live goat, all the sin was transferred from Israel into that goat. They took the blood right into the most holy place, and then the whole temple, the people, the altar, the priest was considered cleansed. And then they dipped the blood and sprinkled it on onto the scapegoat, and then the fit man took it out into the wilderness, and he was simply the garbage truck to carry all the sin out into the wilderness. So therefore, Satan has a vested interest in you to get you to backslide, so that you have to pay for your sin. In the lake of fire and not him. That is why Satan hates the sanctuary because it puts the finger for sin's existence. Satan blames God for sin. Okay? But the sanctuary teaches that Lucifer is responsible for sin. So, there's that. All right. Was that helpful? Okay, very good. So, I mean, you you just... You hear so much venom about the sanctuary. Friends, the sanctuary is the DNA of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It is so biblical, and that's why I've taken the time to put this thing together so that God's people can be, can be free to believe that you have the truth so that you can rest and relax. That we have God's message, and this is what the truth is. Or I don't even know my name anymore. Amen? I believe this stuff more than I believe in the moon. Amen. Okay, so in the Garden of Gethsemane, now let's talk about the third angel's message, now that we understand righteousness by faith. Now, third angel's message. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was faced with the decision of full surrender to to God's will. Don't think for one second that just because Jesus was God that he could not have sinned. Sin, our temptation without the ability to sin is not a temptation. Jesus could have turned those stones into bread. And the difference between Jesus and, and you and me is that Jesus had the power of God in his fingertips. We have the power of God at our fingertips. Big difference. By faith, we can cast out demons. Jesus could cast out demons because he was God. Jesus could have said stones of bread boom and it would have been it would have been so but Jesus would not abuse power because to abuse power to improve his human element would be a misuse of power and he could have came down from the cross and he would not because to use his power to benefit his human condition would be an abuse of power and so that's one of the best reasons we know we can trust God because God never abuses power. We leave that for someone else so in the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus was faced with the decision of surrendering to God's will to drink the cup Matthew 26 he went a little farther and fell on his face and and prayed oh my father a lot of lot of emotion in those three words oh my father if it is possible let this cup does anybody know what the cup was It's the same degree of separation that the wicked feel when they sleep 1,000 years too long. Complete separation from God. Okay? Oh, my Father, and we know that for sure. How do we know that? What did he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have they beaten me? Why have they crucified me? Why have you forsaken me? Right? And he was quoting Psalms 22, verse 1. That's where he was quoting. He was quoting a Bible promise to get him through that event. That's what it means when man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. He did not just say that because that's what was on his in his head at the second. He was quoting Scripture to get through that experience because for the first time he had felt himself separated from his father, and all he had were the promises of, of God in Scripture that he had to live by himself. So again, a second time, he went away and prayed saying, Father, I missed this, I missed. Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And a lot of times, we, I mean, I have a, when I eat, I like to eat, right? And I overeat a lot and I always sit down and I literally tell myself, I will not overeat this meal. I will not overeat this meal. And, and when I sit down and I think it through and I, you know, ration everything out, you know, Americans, it's not that we don't have food, it's that we eat way too much, right? And we're, we don't exercise enough. And so sometimes that extra slice of pie because it's so good or the extra stroganoff that we had today, you know, it, sometimes it, we, we lose focus and we, we eat too much. And sometimes it's, I wish that's all we dealt with, just a little overeating. We deal with a whole lot of other stuff, right? But not as I will, but as you will. That right there is more scary than the mark of the beast. Rome is not your problem. You are. Our wills <laughs> are our problem. Okay, whatever we're going to face during the, the Mark of the Beast crisis, not your problem. You, our wills, my wills, are our own problem. And that's what we need to surrender to God. Verse 42, again a second time. He went away and prayed saying, O oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Did Jesus want to go to the cross? According to these texts, he did not, right? But it was more than just the cross. It was the separation that he must feel from, from the Father. He was, from the moment he was, he was born, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, right? And he had a connection from God from birth, something that you and I just don't have, Jesus I believe was born born again he had that connection with God from birth and he experienced that daily presence with God and that's why everything that you see in the scriptures he's cool as the other side of the pillow when the Pharisees are coming after him he just shifts the 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 focus back on scripture you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God right so what was what was God's will for him to drink the cup, because he himself never sinned. You know, I never really considered that. That's that's very interesting. I, we need to finish the the discussion here. So the the question is: If Jesus did not go to the cross, would would that have been a sin? I don't want to answer that because I want to think about it before I just try to sound smart. You know what I'm saying? I I'm not going to answer that because I don't have a Good answer for you. And I just made a decision that I'm not going to say anything I can't prove. It's just a thing, right? Okay. So, oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Friends, that is, that is, that is right where our Christian experience is, right there. Okay. So, three times, Desire of Ages 690, three times he has uttered that prayer. He seems that the transgressors of the law, if left to themselves, must perish. He sees the helplessness of man, he sees the power of sin, and his decision is made. He will save man at any cost to himself. Just powerful stuff. He accepts his baptism of blood that through perishing millions may gain everlasting life. He will not turn from his mission. He will become the propitiation of a race that has willed to sin. His prayer now breathes only submission. If this cup may not pass for me except I drink it, thy will be done. So whether you have an answer to your question right now, the Lord will give you an answer you'll wake up one day and you'll just have an answer huh yeah it always it always works out like i had a question for years did jesus actually have to go to the cross did he have to could there be some other way that he could have been the passover lamb without and then i woke up one day now tell me if you think this is crazy what was it that killed jesus the cross or the separation Okay, so if what had happened if the Jews would have accepted Jesus and they'd have had this big celebration, right? The high priest would have put his hand on the head of Jesus in the temple, confessed all the sin of the children of Israel, and the sin would have went on to Christ just as it did on the Passover lamb, and the same separation would have killed him in the temple that killed him on the cross. I'm saying it's possible. I'm not saying it's 100% true, but it makes sense. But he did need to be lifted up, yeah, because that's what, that's what the text said. But that was, that was Satan's best effort to get him to, to turn around. Okay? All right, another one. But while God can be just and yet justify the sinner through the merits of Christ, no man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness while practicing known sins. Let that one hit you for a second. Or neglecting known duties God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place and in order for man to retain justification there must be a continual obedience through active living faith that works by love and purifies the soul faith in works 100 so to say that I can be covered by the righteousness of Christ and literally make a decision that it go off Well, we only did it once today. So by making a decision to go against the will of God and willfully sin goes directly against Scripture. Now, what we're talking about here is total surrender. Okay? Total surrender. Now, what does justification by faith have to do with the third angel's message? How is justification by faith the third angel's message in verity? Let's read uh, Revelation 14, 9 again. Okay? Let's see if we can find righteousness by faith anywhere in verses 9 through 11. Revelation 14, here's the third angel. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a megaphone, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Any righteousness by faith so far? Probably not. Which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. When I ask that question, I mean, is it overtly being taught? Is it obviously being taught? He shall be tormented with fire. Okay, any righteousness by faith? Any warm fuzzies from that? And brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Any positive vibes from that so far? The positive vibes come in verse 12. It's a compare and contrast with the whole world that sells out Jesus to follow the beast compared and contrasted with the smaller group who do something different. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who what? Keep the commandments of God. And it's inferred that they keep the commandments of God by faith through the spirit. Because we can't keep the commandments of ourselves because man is totally depraved of anything good. So, if man is going to do good things, that means that that goodness must be given to us from some external source, namely the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of, of Jesus. Okay? So, there's no righteousness by faith mentioned until we get to verse 12. Why do those who receive the mark of the beast drink the wine of of God's wrath? Okay? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now compare that with Revelation 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the what? Seven last plagues, for in them is the wrath of God complete. So God's wrath Is the seven last plagues that's the cup that the wicked drink and so in Matthew 26 there's the cup that Jesus drank and then in Revelation 15 there's the cup that the wicked drink the metaphor drink means go through okay so the result of following the Beast is you drink the cup of God's wrath why is it that the wrath of God will not fall on God's people because Jesus drank that cup for you. You don't cup the drink, you don't drink the cup of God's wrath, because Jesus drank it for you. That is why. Okay? While the while the, the wicked have sores and blood to drink, your bread and water will be sure. Okay? Because he's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. So why don't God's people drink the cup of God's wrath? The answer is simple after looking at Gethsemane. Jesus drank it for me. It fell on Christ in my place. Amen? Now, this is a summary that that I wrote. This is Nolan White. This is me. In the, the human nature of Christ shrunk from going to the cross, he surrendered the temptation to avoid it his father's will, and choose to drink the cup, so it will be with God's last day people. In God's power, they will fully surrender to Jesus and face the world's extreme peer pressure to conform and refuse to follow the beast and receive his mark. God's last day people will fear Going through the time when the mark of the beast is enforced they would like to fit in with the rest of the world I mean we're Seventh-day Adventists not Seventh-day weird Venice I'm not looking for another reason just to be different what we believe is different enough right they want to fit in I like to be liked I'm usually wherever I go one of the most fun people in the room I like to have people like me but not at the expense of selling out Jesus amen God's last day people will fear going through the time when the mark of the beast is enforced. They would like to fit in with the rest of the world. They would like to be able to buy and sell. They don't want to face the death decree, but just as Jesus rejected temptation to preserve self, which is the religion of Babylon. Very good. Just as Jesus rejected the temptation to preserve self in Gethsemane, so it will be with God's last day people. They will have the same kind of faith, the faith of Jesus. They will have the same kind of faith that Jesus had. This is a quality of faith that does not consult circumstance. It does what is right because it is right and leaves the consequences with God. This means that exercising biblical faith is not always pleasant, popular, or comfortable. What is the faith of Jesus? Right there. That's the faith of Jesus. While all the other Seventh day Adventist boys and girls were eating the king's food, while all the other Seventh day Adventist Jewish boys and girls were bowing down to the image, possibly practicing tying their shoes, right? What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? O king, we're not careful to answer you. Our God is able to deliver. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not worship your gods nor bow down to your image. Okay? That is the faith of Jesus. Respectful to the authority, but more respectful to God's authority. This is the refusal to take the easy way out. This is the refusal to let the old man have his way. This is the re- refusal to have a religion of self-preservation without God at any cost. This is the type of faith that allows us to be faithful to God in all circumstances. It is the type, it is the type of courage that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Jesus had, and it is the kind of faith that Jesus wants to give us Today the faith of Jesus it is talked about but not understood What constitutes the faith of Jesus that belongs to the third angel's message? Jesus becoming our sin bearer, that he might become our sin pardoning savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world, took our sins, that we might take his righteousness. Faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply, fully, and entirety is the faith of Jesus. So how is righteousness by faith in verity, the third angel's message? While the world is selling out Christ to have economic, spiritual, and physical security, The few, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, they're trusting God no matter what the circumstances are. Circumstances dictated the decisions of those who took the mark, but the few who followed God did not consult circumstance. They let God take care of them, and whatever circumstance fell, they trusted God, come what may there you go so the true message of righteousness by faith is very simple I give myself to Jesus I am crucified Jesus lives within me so when I exercise faith it's not actually me that's exercising it's his faith working in me so those who receive the mark of the beast are living by works and those who have accepted God's seal receive it because they've accepted it by faith That is how the third angel's message is righteousness by faith and verity. So the faith of Jesus is the type of faith that chooses God's will over what self-wills. Is that your desire today? There were two brothers who fell on hard times and they decided to start stealing sheep way back about 150, 200 years ago in England. And the penalty for stealing sheep in those days was to have the letters ST branded on your forehead. The one brother decided that he was going to run because he didn't want to suffer the reproach of having ST branded on his forehead. And the other brother said, you know what? I'm going to take my penalty like a man and I'm going to do work. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to redeem my family's name and the community. And so that's what he did sometime later there were a couple that were moving into the neighborhood and they were being shown around to decide which house they were going to buy and they saw an old man hobbling with a cane with the letters st branded on his forehead and the young couple said this we thought this was a good neighborhood what's going on with the st written on the forehead and the 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 real estate agent said you know The details are a little fuzzy to me, but I think it means saint. Let's pray. Father, only you can turn sinners into saints, not by my effort, not by any of my works. It is only through the power of God, and today we ask for the power of God to come and dwell with us more. Make us right. Make us love you. Help us to do that which we cannot do. Help us to see things your way and to think differently than we ever had and do it by faith so that you get the credit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.